that as I share this morning, you're not going to hear a man's voice, but you're going to hear God's voice. It's my, my prayer this morning. So welcome to everyone. The knees, I'm sure, will settle down later and uh, should be a bit more relaxed. One day a little kid came home from school and he had a letter <laughs> um, from his teacher. And, and the teacher said, give this to your mom. Only she must read it. And she must read it to you. Rushes home, gives a letter to his mom. Says to her mom, here's a letter from my teacher. Only you must read it. What does it say? What does it say? She opens up the letter. And uh, with tears in her eyes, it says, your son is a genius. The school is too small for him and doesn't have a good enough teacher to train him. Please treat him yourself. It's exactly what she did. She taught him herself and he became, became and grew up to be one of the best inventors of the century. One day after his mother passed away, he was going through a closet and he found this folded up letter. And he thought, yeah, here's this letter. Let me quickly read it. And the message on the letter was, your son is mentally deficient. We cannot let him attend our school anymore. He's expelled. He became very emotional reading that. I'm not sure why. And in his diary on that day, he wrote, Thomas A. Edison was a mentally deficient child whose mother turned him into a genius of the century. Wow. Yeah, what a mother. You're right. Hey. Go Google him. I've not the most knowledgeable and intellectual boy, so I had to go Google him. And um, it's amazing. Thomas A. Edison, it says there, was an American inventor and businessman who had been described as America's greatest inventor. Why do I share the story with us this morning? Because a positive word of encouragement can change anybody's destiny. A positive word of encouragement can change anybody's destiny. This morning we're not going to Google a certain man, but we're going to speak about this key man in Ruth. As you all know, we're doing this series, and his name is Boaz. And I want to share with us, so there he has given you a heads up, Ruth chapter 2. Hope we all got it. As we know, at Freedom we challenged, Bible, smartphones, got quite a bit of scripture today. It's not going to all be up on the screens. So please uh, follow with me. Let's go. Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As I say, I love Google. What is glean? Glean is to obtain information from various sources, often with difficulty, or gather leftover grain from a harvest. We're going to come across the word glean quite a bit this morning, so that's just what it means. Let's read on. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. I, just, I love that, as it turned out. Just on Thursday in Life Group, we were talking about coincidence. As it turned out, she landed up in the field of Boaz. I love it when Jesus puts things in perspective. That word coincidence, coincidence he just brings into his story so beautifully. Verse 4, then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. That's a lacquer boss, eh? <laughs> the Lord be with you. I've got some, some work colleagues out this morning. How do we greet our work colleagues in the morning? Hello? Morning? A few hand signals, perhaps? It's a challenge to us. How do we greet our work colleagues in this morning. He was a man of standing. He took his time to say, the Lord be with you. I, I, I get a picture here that this was a man of integrity who cares about them. They weren't just workers. They were created in God's image, and he appreciated them as workers. They replied, the Lord bless you, they answered. 
Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. What's very interesting here is that during this time with the law of Moses, the poorer people were allowed to glean in other people's fields. I think of a mealy farmer in Broncospreit who's got someone gleaning in his field. What would possibly happen there? Yeah. I first thought get arrested. Not. I think it's going to be a lot worse than that. You'll get shot at. Yeah. There's no ways you can glean in a mealy farmer's field in Broncospreit. How would you react if you saw a person gleaning in your field? How would you react if you saw a person gleaning in your field? Verse 8, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. A bit of background here. In the ancient Middle East times, a woman without a husband or father was not protected. Yet here was Boaz who said to his workers, do not lay a hand on that woman. Amazing, eh? Whenever you are thirsty, go and drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this stage, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about you and what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, Boaz praises her for what she has done. He doesn't focus on the fact that she's a foreigner outsider gleaning in his field. He praises her, he acknowledges her, and he acknowledges for the hour and effort she's putting in for gathering that grain. What are we focusing on? Are we honoring people? Are we appreciating the people in our lives? We've got a saying at freedom that we honor man and glorify God. Are we honoring man? Are we honoring women among us? If not, how can, we, how can we start? Verse 13 says, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and even had some left over. Similar to a doggy bag. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. It's going to be on the board. Deuteronomy 24.19 says, When you harvest your grain... And forget a sheaf back in the field. Don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner. What is a foreigner, Google? Foreigner says it's somebody who's... person who's come from another country. So it's an outsider. It's a stranger. It's a foreigner who's come from another country. Let's be honest here today. Who's the foreigner in our lives? Who's the foreigner in your work team? Who's the foreigner in your sport team? Who's the foreigner in your life group? Yeah. Yeah. Who is 
the foreigner. I looked back when I was swimming very competitively at one stage, and um, I was doing really well. I was kind of the coach's pet, and we were always leading the pack in training. And all of a sudden, this boy from another town came and trained with us and started doing better than me and started beating me. Yeah, I was this foreigner, outsider, and the coach started taking a liking to him. Not cool. How should we treat the foreigner? I know how I treated him, but how should we treat the foreigner? Let's carry on with Deuteronomy there. Leave it for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow, so that God, your God, will bless you in all your work. When you shake the olives off your trees, don't go back over the branches and strip them bare. What's left is for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. And when you cut the grapes in your vineyard, don't take every last grape. Leave a few for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. Don't ever forget that you are a slave in Egypt. I command you, do what I am telling you to do. You see, we've all come from somewhere. We've all been foreigners at one stage. We've all had our story along the way. Please let's not judge the foreigner. We don't know where they've come from, what they've had. Never judge the foreigner. Be kind to those who are foreigners to you and treat them accordingly. Back to Ruth, we're on verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. Google, what's an ephah? An ephah weighs about the same as Rod's new specialized buck. It's about 30 pounds, 13 kilograms. So that's how much an ephah is. It's quite light, 13 kilograms, just to give us a bit of background on how much an ephah is. Verse 18, she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over from her doggy bag after she had not eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked today was Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the woman who worked for him, because in someone else's field, you might, not, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest was finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Who can identify with Ruth today? And I'm not talking in the terms of who can identify living with your mother-in-law. Who can identify with Ruth working hard? Working hard. Who's putting in the hours? Who's going to the fields and cleaning? Who's trying to pull in that extra gray? You see, Ruth wasn't lazy. She wasn't just sitting there handing, waiting for a handout. She was willing to work by faith to go into a field and to find some grain. Maybe it's hard for you to get out of bed in the morning, possibly go work, find work, provide for your family. Maybe you're battling. Maybe you're battling. See, Ruth happened to find herself in Boaz's field by that beautiful word, coincidence. And nothing happens by coincidence. You may find yourself in Boaz's field tomorrow. So please, I know some people are here battling. Get up tomorrow, wash your face, comb your hair, and just trust by some divine intervention, you'll land up in Boaz's field tomorrow. Trust where you are right now is where you need to be because that's exactly where God wants you to be.
The series on Ruth is encouraging for every one of us. And even if we're unemployed, we can trust for divine connection and provision. I want to learn from Boaz today how to treat people. But I want to learn from the real Boaz. Who's the real Boaz in this story? Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the real Boaz. And how did Jesus treat people? just want to share three points with us this morning. And just stay with me about 10 minutes from here. Wow. Prep is being correct. The first point is Boaz saw Ruth. Don't turn to it, but in Luke 17, Jesus was on a mission to Jerusalem. He had a purpose, he had direction, and he was on his way to Jerusalem. He came across the 10 lepers who were shouting, Lord, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, Lord, heal me. They were shouting. It doesn't say that Jesus heard them. It says when Jesus saw them, he had compassion, and he healed them. We've all got missions. We've all got purpose. We've all got direction. We've all got hard work. We've all got busy weeks. But I pray that we see people. You see, Carter's in grade one at the moment, and he's learning to read. It's really special. I'm not biased. He goes to a great school, and he's learning from left to right. So he comes home, and he's reading like this. We're all taught to read from left to right. But how do you think Martin gets these pictures in the bushveld of leopards and tigers and lions and all sorts? Martin's looking from right to left. He's scanning his eyes from right to left to unfold that camouflage, things that are camouflage. It's not normal to look from right to left. And I'm encouraging each one of us that when we come to freedom, we ask God to scan our eyes from right to left to find that person to have compassion on. There's people coming out to church that are battling and they feeling down. They just want someone to say, it's going to be all right. God's got this. I encourage us. Let's scan our eyes from right to left. See, Jesus took notice of them. Second lesson is, do we have a mouth of a redeemer? I mean, Benoni, a failback. I can say that because it's Benoni. Do we have the mouth of a redeemer or a failback? Let's just look at James 3. It'll be on the board. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. And a word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. That was from the message. See, the tongue has three roles here. It's a bit. It's a rabbit and it's a spark. It can stop a horse, it can steer a ship, or it can start a fire. Do we stop things? Or do we steer things? Or do we spark things? You see, I can have a conversation with Adrian, the bass player's mom. And she could come to me and say, yes, Foxy, did you hear what Adrian did? What do I do with that conversation? What can I do with that conversation? I can stop it, I can steer it, or I can spark it. What are you doing, Clinton, with your conversation? It's a big challenge. The power of our words is instrumental if we honor or criticize people. See, Edison's mom spoke praise over his son. One sentence in his life made him become a genius. What are we speaking out over others? What are we speaking out over our kids, over our spouses? What to do with our words? We can kill people. We can build them up. Or we can crash them. It's gone in verse 7. From the NIV, it says, All kinds of animals, 
Birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The message puts it so beautifully. It says, this is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame the tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild. A wanton killer. Google, what's a wanton killer? Wanton, it's causing harm or acting without showing care for others, often intentionally. The tongue runs wild. A wanton killer. You see, all kinds of animals can be tamed. We've all been to circuses. Whoop! Elephants go, tigers can be tamed. We've all been to aquariums. Whales are jumping all on the illustration of a tongue. True story. I have an African grey. His name is Jack. <laughs> He's now nine years old. A few people that know me know this little character. And it took my wife three years to teach him to say, I love you. She's still trying to teach him. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for all my blessings. Amen. It took me two weeks to teach him. Hi, Jack. Show me your boobs. <laughs> True story. You see, you've got to learn how to control your tongue. It is a lot easier to learn the wrong things than to learn the right things. So, babe, you've got some more work to do to teach our nine-year-old Jack. Verse 9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. See, we can't come here on a Sunday and praise God and tomorrow go curse our brother or sister. It's a challenge. I think we all fail at it. We all get it wrong, but the Bible's instructing us to not do that. Ephesians 4.29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. You see we can make or break with our mouth and with our speech. I just want to recap quickly. Number one is Boaz saw people with his eyes. Number two, honor people with your words. And number three, help people with your hands. See, Boaz said, you can have my water, you can have my grain, you can go into my fields, you can take as much as you want. He helped people. Adam Mater had an op and was bedridden for a few weeks, and his pool went pea green, and he couldn't clean it. So I knew uh, a wife and his husband went and cleaned this pool for him, took his two big dogs for a walk around the block. What does that husband and wife do? They were just helping. They were just trying to help. Think, if you can, for those in need, whether making a meal for somebody in need, you actually have been the most amazing example of that, yeah? Whether you mentor the youth group on a Friday night, whether you get in the streets with a yellow hand and act crazy every second week, use your hands, just do parking. Whether it's every six weeks, help with Freedom Kids. Whatever you can, do something with your hands. Every one of us has a set of eyes. Every one of us has a mouth. And every one of us has a set of of hands. Let us use what we have to help others. In closing now, I just want to tell you about the great Boaz of the Bible. His name is Jesus. He looks at people. He loves them. 
with his eyes. He speaks life over them with his mouth. He loves us so much that his hands were spread out, nailed to a cross. He uses all his resources on us. He used his influence as the son of God to redeem people. We've been called to influence people the way Jesus did. Love them with compassion and speak life over them. The sons and daughters of Christ, you and I have been called to point people to the real Boaz, the true Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.